بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد المبارك وسلم Those of you have a translation of the Quran in front of you the new one we'll be using that is of Zaki Ahmad It's a very good translation inshallah as you will see أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سورة الأحزاب سورة نمبر 33 يا أيها النبي اتق الله ولا تطع الكافرين والمنافقين إن الله كان عليما حكيما واتبع ما يوحى إليك من ربك إن الله كان بما تعملون خبيرا وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَكِيلًا This surah comes after surah Al-Iflam Meem Sajda where the read of the Quran is encouraged if not ordered to make sajda in front of Allah's will here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he must also make sajda in front of Allah's will and not worry too much about societal concerns. As a Nabi of Allah, as a Prophet, someone who is assigned and commissioned to bring uh, people close to Allah, invariably you are going to be eager uh, for people to come into the fold and to believe in Allah and so on. And this eagerness uh, sometimes will lead the Nabi towards desperation and towards uh, a sense of guilt. If uh, people do not comply and people do not come into the fold as much as the Nabi would like to, this eagerness is good because that is how a Nabi functions. If you're not eager to do something, you won't do it. So you do have a vested interest in the community whom you are addressing, and that vested interest, although it is very positive and constructive, it should not be at the expense of uh, distorting the message, compromising with the message, contextualizing the message. That is one of the levels of sajda for the Nabi. It's very difficult. It's easier said than done. You don't have anyone in your fold. No one's following your religion, your new religion. And Allah is saying, don't worry about them. It's a paradox, an emotional paradox. So the Nabi's sajda is at a much higher level than the sajda of a non-Nabi. So the Nabi is then requested to fear Allah. Ya ayyuhal Nabi, ittaqillah, O Nabi, fear Allah. What is this fear? This is not the fear that the Nabi will not pray. 
It's not the fear that the Nabi will, God forbid, commit a sin. He doesn't do that. It's masum. The fear is, وَلَا تُطِعُ الْكَافِرِينَ وَالْمُنَافِقِينَ Don't comply with the non-believer and the hypocrite. Today in the US, and perhaps everywhere in the world, the first thing a Muslim would say to a non-Muslim is, Islam is good for you. And that goodness is then relative to the person in front of you. He is not subordinate to what Islamic values are. If I say this to a non-Muslim, then the Muslim will say, Islam is no good. So now you're obeying and you're complying with the non-Muslim. Instantaneously and unfortunately almost instinctively nowadays. This is the value of Islam. And then you say, okay, when I say this, he or she will not accept this, so I have to now mold it. I have to contextualize it. I have to present it in such a way that is compatible and palatable to this person in front of me. And then that is obeying the kafir. And that is not fearing Allah. So it was incumbent on the Nabi to speak the word of God the way the word of God was given to him. Expressing Allah's desire the way Allah wants him to express. That is a level of taqwa for the Nabi which only a Nabi can do. And then Nabi can't do that because you'll always be guilty of acquiescing to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your parents, to your family members, to the community, to the university, to your workplace, to employer, to money, to the state, to life in general. So you see, Allah is saying, Ya Ayyuhan Nabi, you have a pedestal. Don't come down off that pedestal. That pedestal requires you to have taqwa at the highest level. And that level is, You have been sent to guide the non-believer not to comply with his request and demand. Right? So Nabi will never be allowed to comply with the expectations of others, even though it may mean that they will continue to disbelieve. So the objective then is uh, now nuanced. The objective of a Nabi is to deliver. The objective of a Nabi is not to convert. We must give dawah. We must convert everybody in the world. No, that's fine. For us, it's fine. That's post-Nabuwa. Why? Because we have the deen. Uh, inshallah. With the Nabi, is different. The Nabi is that your objective is to deliver. Ya Deliver whatever has been revealed to you from your Lord. If you can maintain that standard and you remain on that pedestal, then you are fearing Allah. You are using Allah as a shield against any downfall.
The downfall will mean that you comply and you obey the non-believer and the hypocrite. Two groups of people. In the deliverance of the message. Don't distort the message. What does Allah want from you? He wants this. Well, will Allah accept this from me? No. Right? It's almost very, very, very mathematical. So the, the, the equation has to be correct. One plus one must equal two there. There's no room for debate and negotiation and for, what do you call it, conceding to the emotions and desires of other people, which is exceptionally tempting. We must appreciate the humanness of the Nabi wasallam that he is a human being. And it was exceptionally tempting for him because his people were close to him. He loved his people. Right? You cannot uproot the love of a person for his family and for his people. No, he didn't like the cup. No. They were his people, his blood. So now if someone from his family does not accept Islam, then he's going to do everything he can to make sure he does. Without doing what? Compromising, without uh, changing, reforming, recontextualizing, contextualizing the message. That requires a level of taqwa, fearing Allah, which we as non-Ambiya cannot appreciate. It's not possible. So this is the taqwa of the Nabi. Do not follow those who are non-believers, meaning they do not believe in you. A kafir is who? A kafir is someone who does not believe in Muhammad as being the last messenger. A kafir is not someone who believes in God. No. You may believe in God and still be a kafir. How? By not believing in Muhammad So it's not just a question of monotheism. That you have monotheistic faiths in the world and civilizations. For the Muslim, it is belief in Muhammad What did he believe in? We believe in. Wal-munafiqeen and those who are hypocrites. Those who say they believe, but they do not believe. Don't follow them either. Which is difficult, because how do you know they don't believe? You understand the point? You say, this person openly says, I don't believe in Muhammad. Okay, I won't follow you, I won't obey you, I won't comply, I won't talk to you, whatever. Someone who comes in front of you and says, I believe, but in his heart he doesn't believe then? How do you say to the Rasul, don't follow him? Unless Allah gives him knowledge that he knows he is not believing. That is through wahi. That is through what? Wahi. That's one way. The other way is to know from the signs of nifaq. Okay? The attributes of a munafiq are enumerated in hadith. You know from those attributes that there is a potential threat in this person because he does not do what a believer does. And that is, he lies when he talks, he does not fulfill promises, 
if he has a covenant, he breaks them. Okay? He does not attend the social forms of ritual worship the way other Muslims do. Then from that, the Prophet ﷺ will know that there is a potential danger in uh, feeling comfortable around this person. Even though categorically, uh, the Muslim community was not allowed to call others as munafiq. Munafiq were always hidden, as the word itself is suggesting. So now, those who are explicitly in the form of living in kufr, and those who may be living in kufr, potentially. Both. Don't follow them, because they will distort the message. They will say, maybe you should compromise on this issue of Islam. Maybe you should do this, this and that. You, as a Nabi, you can't afford to be seen doing that. This is not about the fiqh, the fiqh which came later. This is about the Nabi. The Nabi's role is to represent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the representation of a Nabi, then the Nabi must be seen as others, as someone who does not compromise with forms of kufr, just as he does not compromise with kufr. So the munafiq exhibits forms of kufr. Ayatul munafiq, the signs of a munafiq. So those are forms of kufr, that you don't do this. Those are either religious or social. The religious also in the form of a social participation in religious affairs, like attending salat with jama'ah. That is a social order for ritual worship. So if someone is with the Prophet ﷺ in the day, but he is never there when the Prophet prays, then Muslims were put on high alert. Be careful about this person. He's not with you when he's supposed to be with you. And the other social, meaning that he lies and he cheats and he does not fulfill an obliged covenant. These are social transactions which are very apparent. And this is how the Rasul now developed the uh, very uh, fledgling community of the Muslim Ummah in Medina that this is how you are going to protect yourselves from kufr and forms of kufr so that you also follow me in taqwa, in the obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna Allah kana alimun hakima. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always been knowledgeable. And He has always been all wise. So Allah knows who is a non-Muslim and who is a munafiq. Allah knows those ahkam and those laws, rules and forms of kufr. And He is now revealing to you, O Muhammad sallallahu that you must maintain your social dignity at a level of Apparent social taqwa. Right. Understand social taqwa. That a Nabi must never be seen as given license to kufr. And disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why. Some of the scholars say that this, uh, this surah in total was revealed to address the, the uh, 
inclination of the Prophet ﷺ towards listening to some of the demands of the Quraysh as they moved to Medina. Right? Okay. Now if you're not going to be obeying and following the non-believer and the hypocrite, then what do you follow? What is your methodology? Okay. What is your social order? Is it then follow what is revealed to you from your Lord? You are different from others in the fact that you receive wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when Allah gives you wahi, it is to develop you. Wahi is there to develop the Prophet first, then others. Mirabbik, in the word Rabb, you'll find solace for the Prophet that your Lord is giving wahi to you. So as wahi comes to you, your Lord is raising you, developing you. And the purpose of receiving wahi is to understand how he's developing you, as he's raising you. Right. So the way he's raising you is by making you stronger, making you more knowledgeable, more wise, uh, etc. So that you're in a position where people after you until the day of judgment will see you as the figurehead and as the leader and as the uh, only Nabi from your time until the day of judgment. That's how he's raising you. Mirabbik. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all aware of what you do. So now here the pronoun changes. The first part of the ayah addresses the Prophet exclusively. The second part of the ayah now addresses the whole ummah. Allah knows everything you doing. All of you. All of you. So why is there change? From the singular to the plural, and that has to be understood in the context of the ayah, in the context of the Nabi, and in line with the rules of hermeneutics, usul tafsir, and so on, so on. Mm. Yeah. Meaning that when you follow the Nabi, who is following wahi, Allah knows what it is you're doing. So there is an implied addition in the ayah. For those of you who know Arabic, you'll be able to understand what I'm saying. So, the order for the Muslim Ummah is to follow the Prophet That's the order for the Ummah. And when you follow the Prophet who has been raised and trained by Allah himself, then he will know what you are doing. Khabira. He is aware of what it is you are doing. So you must follow him and follow his lead in not complying with the requests and demands of those who choose to distort Islam and to move you away from the path of wahi that came to the Prophet So your ideas and ideals must conform with the ideas and ideas of wahi that came to the Prophet Muhammad In this, there will be a challenge. Right? In this, there will be a challenge. 
So here, the challenge is primarily to the leader, and by extension to the ummah. So the next ayah now refers to the Prophet ﷺ again exclusively, Allah, that now you place your trust upon Allah, in Allah. What is the purpose of your mission? It is to follow wahi and deliver wahi the way it is given to you. In that, you may not see that there is any social benefit if you speak the truth all the time, then trust Allah. You are not in a position to now do a risk-benefit assessment and evaluate your position based on expediency and uh, political concerns and benefits and utility, whatever. If, if I say this to the Quraysh, uh, that uh, you will all go to hell if you don't worship Allah alone. Now try that. Try and do the risk assessment for that. Okay. How many people are going to believe them? Uh, no one. So when no one's going to believe and you know that, what do you do? What the wakkal Allah? Put all your trust in Allah. It's not up to you to convert. It's up to Allah to convert. Allah is the one who gives guidance. Yeah. When Allah gives guidance, you deliver the message the way it is supposed to be delivered. And this is what he said. Say la ilaha illallah and you'll be successful. Yeah. So now this, this level of taqwa for the Nabi, which is at the beginning of the surah, and there's a level of tawakkul for the Nabi, which no non-Nabi can ever match. You can't match that. And that's why you have to follow him, because he is the ultimate paragon, and the only paradigm. He's the only standard. You can't have another human standard than the standard of the Nabi, and that is our Nabi Muhammad Allah. If you think that you can manage this yourself, then try reading the seerah of the Rasul wasallam, where he was called upon to fear Allah and then trust him at the same time. Which is another paradox. How do you trust somebody you're fearing? No. Have we worked that out? What takhillah is to fear? Those of you who have the problem with the word fear, I hope they have Dispel that many times over. And then as you're fearing him, you say, I trust him. How do you trust somebody you are supposed to fear? And how do you fear somebody you're supposed to trust? It doesn't make too much sense. And that's the point of the sajda, which came before this surah. Acquiesce. What are you going to do? Once you trust him, وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَكِيلًا Allah is more than enough when you make him your now interested, your guardian and your advocate. Yeah. Yeah. This is how we see uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raising and training the Rasul, sallallahu the Nabi, so that others would be able to follow this human standard of behavior. Not the angelic standard of behavior. It's a human standard where there was always a genuine concern there was always an inclination towards listening to the demands and requests of people. At the same time, there was this human uh, surrender. 
active surrender to God's will and to wahi. And there was this active now in trusting and placing one's trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was the live Rasul. Or this is the live Rasul, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that you understand uh, how to follow a Nabi. Now the surah, Surah Al-Ahzab, is a surah uh, that highlights and brings out the glorious merit on Fadila of Khatum al Nabiyin Muhammad It is to establish that there is no Nabi after the Rasul Muhammad ibn Abdullah was born in Makkah and is buried in Medina. There is no Nabi after him. That is the pivot of the Surah. As you will see in one of the ayat later on. So, everything revolves around uh, highlighting the merit and the fadila of Muhammad Muhammad is first and foremost a, a man. He is a human being. He's a man. And in his uh, human concreteness, uh, he will do what every other human being is able to do if uh, that those people follow him. So now he doesn't have a duality. Who? The Rasul. The Rasul doesn't have a duality that you can say that he has a physical human side and he has a non-physical, metaphysical, spiritual side. We in Islam are not allowed to make this dichotomy in the Nabi. That there is the Bashariya and there is the Ruhaniya. We don't do that. That you can do in academics if you want to write a paper and so on. This one side. In life, Rasul is Bashar. Rasul is a human being. So in, in, the, in the human side, there is the spiritual component, and in the spiritual component, there is the human component. Right. Yeah. Right. It's the same thing. Don't separate the two. It comes together. There is a holistic approach to understanding the Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa and this is uh, one issue. The second issue is that during the days of Jahiliyyah, the uh, Quraysh and other non-believers had many myths. Had what? Many myths. One of those myths is mentioned in the next ayah. مَا جَعَلُ اللَّهُ لِرَجْلٍ مِّنْ قَلْبَيْنِ فِي جَوْفِ that Allah has not placed for any man two hearts in his stomach, meaning wherever the heart is. So they believe that a smart person had two hearts because the heart was seen as a place for the intellect and for emotion. So a smart person needed more intellect, therefore he needed another heart. Yeah. That's the background. But the application is what I mentioned. The application is that Muslims must not try to dichotomize the nature of the Rasul and say that he has a physical side and he has a spiritual side. There are no two hearts there, there's one. He's the same being. So, as he is talking to his wives, and as he is now talking to young children, he is the Nabi, and as he is leading Salat, he is the Nabi. There's no dichotomy that he switches hearts. No. Yeah. 
to understand the beauty of this ayah. This is one way to highlight the excellence of all Anbiya, the Prophet ﷺ, that as high as they are in understanding all the great divine realities and they're able to receive divine nourishment and providence in the form of wahi, and then they're able to perform these religious acts of spirituality of salat, psalm and hajj and dua and dhikr. At the same time, they will perform their humane and human duties just as easily as they do those. Oh. Refers to now the aqidah of the ummah, that the ummah must see the Rasul as human and Rasul at the same time. Don't try to separate the two. Otherwise you'll get into trouble. That when the, 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 the Rasul is in the mode of spirituality, he becomes something else. No, he doesn't. He remains human. Right? Then how is he able to switch? Because he is human. Don't you ever switch moods? So when you switch in one mood, which is totally diametrically opposite to the mood you were in a few minutes ago, okay, what do you become? You become a demon? No, you're the same person. Likewise, a Nabi's ability to encompass many different levels and values of Nabuwa and Islamic practice and the social affairs is all in one heart. He doesn't have two hearts. There are no two personalities. It is not a split personality. It is not schizophrenic or bipolar. Right? So we must appreciate this, especially against the backdrop of those who do not believe in him and condemn him. God forbid they dislike him to the degree where they say he had fits and so this eye is also removing the potential myth from the minds of Muslims of today where they may be tempted to dichotomize the reality and the nature of the Nabi which is something we cannot do and we shouldn't allow anyone else to do. So as he is at uh, the Isra on the Buraq and as he is in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does he become Nur or does he become, remain Bashar? Hmm. He remains Bashar, brother. He doesn't become Nur. That is the Mu'jiza. The Allah allowed the Bashar, the Turab, to experience the Nur of the Divine without changing the nature and reality of the Turab, of the dust. Allah didn't change the Bashariya of his Nabi to give him the experience of Miraj. That is the Mu'jiza. Anyone who says otherwise is now relegating the merit and the honor of the Prophet ﷺ, where he is removing him from his abdiyyah. He is being a servant of God, which requires that you are human first and last. Hmm. This is referring to that aqidah, potential danger in the aqidah of the ummah, which we will highlight later on when we talk about Khatmun Nabuwan. وَمَا جَعَلَ زَوَاجِكُمْ اللَّاتِي تُظَاهِرُونَ مِنْ أُمْهَاتِكُمْ The second myth of the Arabs 
in the Jahiliyyah was this one, that when they would become angry at their wives, they would liken their wives to their own, to the backs of their mothers. And they would say that you are like the back of my mother, meaning just as it is haram for me to touch my mother, it is not haram for me to touch you. This is called dhihar in Arabic in fiqh. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed this doubt from the Prophet first and from the Sahaba secondly so that they would not assume something that is false to be true. First of all, no one can be like your mother. You only have one mother. Which is one of the discussions in the surah. And secondly, if you liken your wife to your mother, then she will be haram for you until you make and give the kafara. Kafara of the haram. You fast six days consecutively. Right. That's kafara. Then she won't be haram. Uh, If you do that, then she will remain halal. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Allah has not made your wives the one, the those whom you liken to the backs of your mother. تظاهرون أمهاتكم Meaning they are not your mothers. So don't assume that they have become... Meaning, just as the Rasul only has one heart and he is Bashar and Turab, he is human, he is dust, he is made from the clay of Adam, he does not turn into something else. Likewise, your wives don't become your mothers. Natures don't change. You can't assume that just because you said it. But I say it. Because I said it, it doesn't happen that way. So this is also another myth from the Jahiliyyah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing here. And finally, the third myth, which has many legal repercussions, unfortunately for us today, and implications if we believe in Islam. وَمَا جَعَلَ أَدْعِيَاءَكُمْ أَبْنَاءَكُمْ nor has Allah made your adopted sons your sons. Ad'uya means adopted sons. And abnakum your real sons. So by declaring somebody to be your legal son doesn't make him your son. Adoption doesn't give you the right of becoming a real parent. Which as you can appreciate has legal repercussions. Okay. You will not be allowed to inherit from your guardian parent who have adopted you Islamically because you are not by blood their son or daughter. And the person who is leaving his estate will have to put that in a clause that is included in the wasiyah, the will which is one third of your estate. You will not inherit by default. Because you are not by blood, what? Sons or daughters. That's the legal implication. Which is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, that because you by law have converted an adopted son into a real son, it doesn't become real. Someone who's not born from you doesn't become all of a sudden born from you. It doesn't happen. So the law must reflect that. So adopted children don't inherit from their foster parents or their guardian parents. Is there a way to give them money? Yes. That's called wasiyah. You leave a will in one third of your state or you give them the money before you die. Either way. 
But if, God forbid, somebody dies, their, their foster parent, their guardian parent dies before that, then the adopted son or daughter doesn't have an Islamic recourse to claim any money from their guardian parents. The judge will throw the case out. Class, finish class. Because of this. Changing what is real into something that is false is not what a Nabi does. Now, this particular part of the ayah has a real significance in the rest of the surah, which we will see when we get there. And that is raising the ranks of the Nabi. Allah subhanahu wa is doing this. That for you, meaning making your wives like your mothers and making your adopted sons like your real sons, that is the statements that come out from your mouths. That is it that every statement you make and utter, does that become real? No. Whose statement makes everything real? God's. Allah's. What do you say next? Allah yaqulul haqq. Allah speaks the truth. When Allah speaks, it's the truth. Hear it. He can make something that is now apparently not real, real. Although it's real to begin with when he makes it, uh, inshallah, come into existence. Yeah. So here, uh, the, 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 uh, the pedestal of Nabuwa is that Nabuwa must address what is real and must denounce what is false, even though it may cause disturbance in society. That's his role. So, if in society, like they did in the Quraysh, or in pre-Islamic Arabia, they believed that adopted sons were real sons, then one of the requirements for the Nabi is to say, no, that's not true. That's a false statement. And Nabi does not subscribe to any false statement. Likewise, if they believe that when somebody likens their wives to their mothers, now because they become haram, the Nabi says, no, that is a false statement. That is not true. So why is somebody saying something that is false to be true? And Nabi will not be party to, nor will he witness any false statement. You can't do that, because that is not the pedestal of Nabuwa. Even though society will dictate and demand that you do so, which was one of the pressures that the Quraysh and then later on the people in Medina who are non-Muslims levied against the Prophet ﷺ that this is in your tradition, this is in your culture, this is your value that you have inherited for generations. Why don't you say it? Are you being holier than that? Allah says it doesn't matter what they say. Speak the truth because Allah speaks the truth. Wallahi yaqul al-haqq. Allah, he speaks the truth. And not only that, he guides the way. So one thing is to speak the truth, and the other is to show the guidance. When we speak the truth, mashallah, alhamdulillah, we don't have any guidance behind what we say, even though it's true a million times. When Allah speaks the truth, he guides the way, he guides the path towards Jannah and towards him, the ultimate truth. And this is how we see the opening ayat of the surah where the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
is being trained and raised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to speak what is the truth, uh, even though it may come at a cost, uh, meaning societal cost, where people will say that now we will we have another reason not to believe in him. Right. Now these are societal values. And uh, anyone who tries to change established normative societal values, then they will be met with fierce resistance, as is he today in your debates or anywhere else in the world where people try to change the status quo of any society, they will be faced <coughs> with opposition. So here the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is uh, now being raised and trained by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so that others will follow him and others will be able to follow him and they will say in their minds subconsciously and sometimes verbally that if Muhammad was able to do this as a human being we should be able to follow him and that is how now following the Nabi becomes easier than if you were to follow an abstract ideal following the the concrete human being is much easier than trying to follow an abstract ideal in theory because he represents the truth in being whereas the theory may represent the truth in theory but never in concrete terms and as I said this is one of the pivots of the surah may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to listen to the truth uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the knowledge of the truth also and allow us to follow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in all our affairs. Ameen ya rabbal alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khidr khilqi Muhammad wa alihi wa sallam ibrahim. Ya Rahmanin ya Rahmanin.